Good morning, City Church. This is Chris Rohde, bringing you a moment of sanity at the start of your day, a moment of truth from God's Word, a moment of grace. As many of y'all know, my day job is as an attorney. But unlike the cool attorneys you see on TV, or David Boyce, I don't spend my days in court yelling, OBJECTION! Instead, as a corporate attorney, I spend most of my days reading and writing contracts. <laughs> I know, sounds pretty boring, right? Honestly, it can be. But let me ask you, at its core, what is any contract? It's a promise by one person to another person to do or not to do something. And it is not a stretch to say that our entire society runs on the making and keeping of promises. And this is not a surprise because in the making of promises, we, rec- we are imaging God. When we look at the Bible as a whole, from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, One characteristic of God that we say highlighted over and over again is that he is a God who makes promises to his people. The Bible uses a word for these promises that we rarely use today outside of contracts, a covenant. The Bible talks about a lot of covenants, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of the law, the Davidic covenant, and on and on. Covenants are so common and central to the story of redemption that they are often one of the rubrics used to describe the overarching narrative of the Bible. This is commonly referred to as, quote, covenant theology. So what is a covenant? Is it just an antiquated word for a promise, or is it something more? A covenant, in the most general sense, is a formal arrangement between two parties. But, in the biblical context, it primarily refers to covenants between God and mankind. Ligon Duncan, a pastor, theologian, and the Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, where Harrison went to school, defines a covenant as a God-initiated, binding, living relationship with blessing and obligations. As Eric highlighted when he preached on Genesis 15 a few years ago, in the ancient Near East, covenants were marked by literally cutting animals in half to symbolize the consequences of breaking the covenant. In other words, when the Bible talks about a covenant, it's talking about something far more serious than a simple promise between two people. So why am I droning on and on about covenants? Because one of our passages today deals with a covenant that God makes. This is what's called the Noahic Covenant and is the covenant God makes with Noah after the flood. Let's look at the passage. Starting in Genesis 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So let's break this down. The background of this passage is one that most of us are probably familiar with. After Adam and Eve are removed from Eden for the first sin, their descendants begin filling the earth and sin abounds. It gets so bad that God mourns that he created man and decides to erase man from the earth with the exception of the family of a single righteous man, Noah. Noah builds an ark and fills it with the animals, two by two if you remember the story, and the rains come down and the waters rise and the only people and animals left are those on the ark. Eventually they land on dry ground and come out, which is where this passage picks up. 
So who does he make the covenant with? Noah, his offspring, which is every human being thereafter, and every living creature on earth. This is one of the things that is unique about this covenant. It is not limited to God's people, but is with the entirety of creation. What does God promise to do or not to do? He promises to never again destroy the earth and its inhabitants via flood. And, just prior to our passage, promises to provide an order to how the world operates. But why? Why does God save Noah and his family, despite the fact that they, too, are sinners? This is where another passage from today, one that most of us are very familiar with, provides some insight. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God does not eradicate humanity and destroy the earth because he loves us and had a plan to redeem us in Jesus. Because of that, God promises to preserve the world until such time as his work is complete. So how do we know that he will abide by this promise? He tells Noah to look up and see the sign of the rainbow, his signature on the contract, if you will. And while that is still true for us, we also have a sign that Noah did not. Instead of looking up at the rainbow, we can look up at the cross of Christ. We can look to Christ and know that God's wrath toward our sin has been paid for by the cross. We can know that the rainbow mirrors a war bow that has been hung up, symbolizing that we're at peace with God. And we can rest in the knowledge that God loves us and sustains us and the earth today. So the next time you see a rainbow, remember that God, out of his love for us, has promised to sustain us. And that God always keeps his promises. Stay well and do good. Good Morning City Church is a weekday podcast produced by the staff and members of City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. To learn more about us, please visit citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A dot com. And thanks for listening.